Welcome to the podcast for WGTS 91.9's Gateway Fellowship, a weekly service for anyone of any faith that is ultimately about inspiring hope. You can learn more and find more messages like this at mygatewayfellowship.com. So tonight, I'm going to talk about three nobodies. Not somebodies. We could talk about Peter, and we could talk about Paul, and we could talk about Mary Magdalene, and we could talk about... No, no, no. We're going to talk about nobodies tonight. Now, I don't know if you ever felt like a nobody, but I've certainly had those moments of feeling like a nobody. Matthew 8 talks about a woman who had been sick for 12 years, hemorrhaging. Now, this is a subject we don't even like to talk about today, let alone in those days. I mean, this is embarrassing. She had spent all her money on doctor bills. Now, a few weeks ago, I got a bee sting, and my leg began to swell. And being that I have diabetes, I was concerned, so I went to an out clinic. They rushed me into the hospital because my leg had swollen up. No, first they gave, I'm sorry, the big point of this is they gave me sulfa drugs. I did not know I was allergic to sulfa drugs. So I literally couldn't get up off the sofa. I was staggering around. I didn't know what I was going to do. My, my brain was disorientated, which my husband would say happens regularly. But we don't talk about that part of it either. Got in the hospital and they kept me for three days, gave me every kind of test you can imagine. And they finally says, we just don't know what's wrong with you. Well, by the end of three days, the sulfa drug had worn off, and I was fine. And do you know how much money? $18,000 to find out, we don't know what's wrong with you. I could have told them that when I first went in. I mean, for pity's sakes. Well, here is this poor woman. She had spent every single dollar she had, every bit of her money, trying to find doctors. And the doctors were, in her day especially, were very willing to take that money. She had, was, had cramps, probably had migraines. She was anemic. She was miserable. Worse yet, that wasn't the worst part. The worst yet, she most likely was divorced and had lost her children because she was now a pariah. She was not welcome in society. She was forced to live in isolation. Now, I haven't figured out if they lived in isolation, a whole bunch of ladies that had these problems, or exactly what happened. But she was isolated from everyone she loved, everything she had ever known. She couldn't go shopping. I mean, that's horror. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't even. Now, this is what gets me. In the society in which she lived, if she sat on a chair... No one could sit on that chair until it was clean and sanitized. If she laid down in a bed, the same thing happened because she was so unclean, filthy, dirty. Oh, my. She was desperate. Now, she had heard of Jesus. And so she heard that he was coming to her town. He was on his way to someplace else. But he came to her town. And she says, I am going to see if I can get to him. Well, Everybody else heard about it, too. You know, Jesus traveled in a large entourage of disciples, and there were people, women that took care of their needs as far as food and all this sort of thing. So it was a big thing. It was like the circus coming to town. You can see why they were all out there. This was the biggest thing that's going to happen. There was no TV to distract them. 
she pushed her way in. Now, everybody in the community knew her problem. And so she would come near to push her way in, and they'd, oh, ooh, that's awful, and move away because then they would be considered unclean spiritually as well as physically. She was unclean, common knowledge. And everybody knew what the problem was. She said, now, if I can just, maybe, maybe if I can just get close enough to kind of reach out and touch his, the hem of his robe, that would do it. Just touch the hem of his robe. They say the hem is the fringe or the tassels that are on the bottom of his robe. They were called zitzit. Now, don't ask me, but that's what they were called. Now, there's meaning for this that's important because in the book of Malachi, there was a prophecy that Jesus would rise with healing in his wings. Now, the translation is it's the ends of the bird's feather like the hem of the garment. And he, she reached in there and just, ah, she touched. And immediately she knew she had been healed. And so she tried to back up, and people weren't, they were still crowding in. And Now, Jesus could have saved her the embarrassment and let her go. But we would have lost her forever because she was a nobody. He said, who touched me? Well, this crowd was just, I don't know about you, but I'm claustrophobic, and I push people away when I get into a crowd. I certainly, who touched me? I felt virtue go out from me. Now, virtue means chastity, goodness, excellence of perfection. Jesus shared his excellence of perfection with this woman because she needed more than a physical healing. If she had just disappeared, the people would not have known she was healed, first of all, and wouldn't have allowed her back into society because how are they going to know? And she needed the inner healing that comes with contact with Jesus. She needed self-esteem and respect turned back. So she felt it, and she knew it. She fell at his feet, and Luke 8.47 says, you took a risk. This is what Jesus said, and this is on the message paraphrase. So if you don't find it in your New International, that's the reason. It's message paraphrase. You took a risk trusting me, and now you are healed. Live well. Live happy. That's what Jesus gave her that day. The neat thing about this was this unwavered, this little little touch of faith. It wasn't the strong, I can do this. I am going to push my way to Jesus. I know he's going to do this. It was just a little piece of faith. And she had the courage to reach out and touch. And it changed her life and put her in the annals of history even though we don't know her name. The second woman was shunned as well, and she was scorned by her community. Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, and he said, told the disciples, now there are two roads going into Jerusalem. One was more direct, and the second one went through Samaria. Samaria. It went through Samaria. Oh, no, we don't want to go... Yes, that's where we're going. 
and he stopped. It was a hot day, and he told the disciples to go into town and get some food. And they went in. He sat there at the well, and this woman came up. Now, this was an appointment with history. He knew he was going to meet her there. She didn't. She was out there in the middle of the day in the hot sun. And Trust me, I live in Central California. I know what the hot sun is like. And if I were going to, to, to get water at the well, I would go much earlier in the day and get it over with. I would not go then. She was there for a reason, because she was shunned by her society. And then this day, he asks for a drink of water, which doesn't sound like a bad idea. I'm sure he was thirsty. And she looked at him horrified, because she was a Samaritan. Now, that was worse than being a woman in those days. She was a Samaritan. And so Jesus began breaking the rules, one after another, after another, and because women did not go and talk to a man without their husband there. That was not allowed. She talked to men. It was a waste of time talking to women. That's what the Torah says. It says, don't waste your time talking to your wife. You, you need time to study. You don't want to be distracted by these unimportant things. <clears throat> you heard that. Plug your ears. <laughs> you know, there are actually people in this world today that believe there will be no women in heaven because we're all going to be changed into men. I have news for them. I don't want to be a man. I'm happy right where I am, and I know my Lord is happy because he made me what I am. Okay, in those social status, this was the lowest for the Jewish nation to talk and to ask for a drink. The Jewish people did not even drink out of the same cup as the Samaritans. If they touched it, they were unclean. And he said, I can give you water, living water, living water, she was focusing on the law. You're not supposed to speak to me. And he was speaking of the grace of the heavenly king. And so instead of pursuing this further, she brought, he brought up the subject. Well, why don't you go get your husband, and we'll talk some more. And she got a little embarrassed. She, she, I don't know if she, what she said, but we know that she had five husbands, and he knew it. And she knew he knew it. By Western standards, five husbands would be kind of, ooh, five husbands? You'd have all sorts of questions going through your head. Now, she was, had been widowed five times, and he told her that the man she's living with wasn't her husband. Now, by our standards, we're going, um, yeah, that's not so good. But, you know, a widow in those days had only so many options. She could become a beggar on the street. She could become a prostitute. She could remarry if she found a man that dared to be number six. She could be somebody's maiden aunt and just live there kind of as a servant or slave in the home. But the one that struck me was she could live as in a leverite, leverate, I'm sorry, leverate marriage. 
Now, a love-a-right marriage was when a childish, childlike, childless, I'm a public speaker and I get my words clear. Okay, childless woman would marry a deceased husband's brother to produce an heir, but legally they weren't married. So here we are, thousands of years later, saying, oh, that naughty lady from Shady Lane. Oh, my. We don't know that. We don't know what the situation was. And I noticed that Jesus didn't care. He didn't dwell on this and say, your sins need to be forgiven. You, I, Actually, what he said is, I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to judge you. And then they started on the subject that had divided the Samaritans and the Jewish people for years and years and years. Where do you worship? Well, you're supposed to worship here on the mountain. And you, or well, do you say we should worship in, in, in Jerusalem? I mean, you know what? God doesn't care how your temple is built. He doesn't, he took worship, the experience, the personal relationship out of the building and he put it into the daily life. You worship God in the mall, in the street, in the prison cell, bedroom, mountaintop, maybe at the ocean. That's my favorite. I want you to imagine a great big equilateral triangle, okay? Three sides equal, so forth. All right? Here's God the Father up here. Here's God the Son over here. And over here's the Holy Spirit, worshiping God. And in between this is incredible divine love, unbelievable love. You worship God when you voluntarily step into the middle of that triangle. You are totally encased in love. That's worship. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can do that anytime. Any place, that's the God that loves you. That's the one she was speaking to that day. Now think of this. When you see, Jesus went out of his way to talk with this hopeless woman. What if when you see a homeless person on the street through Jesus' lives? You see, she was sent out as the first missionary to her people. First missionary to her people. Wasn't a male and it wasn't a Jew to her people. What if that homeless person you kind of walk away from is going to be the first missionary to his people or her people? We don't know. There was a woman in San Francisco when they were having a lot of problems with, with people on the street who were begging for money. And I guess the city decided it was just too obnoxious. And they started trying to pass laws that they couldn't be there. And this one lady got on the news. I'll never forget her. She was very properly dressed. You know, the beige lady from head to toe, that everything is right, including every little hair. And they, she said, well, they've got to do something. Seeing these people out here is so distasteful. So distasteful. To God, that wasn't distasteful. That was the first missionary to her people. 
Now, the third woman I want to tell you about is one that I still don't completely understand the story. We call her the Syrophoenician woman, and that's because she was probably Greek. She definitely was a Gentile, and I mean, that, if you talk about coming down Jewish, male, female, Jewish, you come down Samaritan, and now you're down to the really the bad, bad neighborhood, bad. Canaanite, she probably was a Canaanite, which were the enemy of the Jewish people for centuries. And there she was, having the audacity, the audacity to come up to the Savior and beg her, him to heal her daughter. He was, she was dying. She had demons. She was, she was tearing herself apart, and the mother was just frantic. And, and so even though she knew she would not be welcome in this crowd, she went up to him anyway. And the disciples were horrified. Make her go away. Stop it. Stop it. I can just see them. Have you ever tried to get away from somebody that's pestering you? Well, you know, Jesus kind of played into their prejudices. He he just kind of, and, and it still befuddles theologians, this story. And so she's asking for her daughter's healing. And Jesus is saying something to the effect of, well, you know, uh, the food from the master's table goes to the children first, meaning the Jewish people. And so he replied with, ah, but even the puppies get to eat the crumbs on the floor. All I want is a crumb from the floor. That's all I want. You know, and we look at this story and we think this is, this isn't good. I mean, could, why would Jesus talk to her that way? Why would he belittle her that way? Bread to the children first, not to take food from kids for, to feed the puppies. And she's in, in message paraphrase again, says, stand in line, take your turn. If there are leftovers, the dogs eat them. He was calling her a dog. Do you make any sense of that from the God and the Jesus that you've learned to love? It doesn't make sense. And she said about the crumbs from the table. And Jesus said, and I can see his his acting ability there for a little bit. And then he switches to compassion. He says, you're right. On your way, your daughter is healed. You see, God, Jesus understood the mother's heart. But he also understood, as with the other two women, her need for healing. If she couldn't respect the daughter of the king of the universe, if she put herself down as a Canaanite, as a Syrophoenician woman, she would never understand what Jesus was saying and why he was elevating her at that point. She needed a healing. She was desperate, and she was desperate enough to dare to reach out. Now, in this world, there are lots of people that are aliens and outcasts, and we think, well, they're not worth his time. And that's what he was playing into for the people around him to see. 
Because if Jesus had simply healed her child and sent her on his way, she would never believe she was worthy of his attention and grace. He needed to address, and he knew it, her heart problem and elevate her to the rightful status as a valued princess. The exciting thing about this story, while I can't completely understand it, is that she traveled home without a shred of evidence of her miracle. She believed. Demonstration of faith. She believed. You see, Jesus came, Luke 4, 18 says, he came to set the prisoners free. Even the prisoners of their own self-loathing, of their own past that was they saw as ugly and unloving, he came to set them free. To, they were imprisoned by society. Every one of these ladies were, believed what other people told them. And Jesus was trying to say, no, no, no. They had been belittled. They had been beaten down. They had been abused. They had been victimized. They needed that spiritual healing to be set free of the anger and the hate, self-pity that always accompanies abuse. Jesus addressed that need in those women. You see, whatever's been done, wherever you've been, If you have a prison enslaving you, Jesus needs to do that healing. And sometimes before, the other healings can take place. Because you need to know he is the king of the universe. You're his child. He wants to heal and restore your hurting soul to what is rightfully yours. And with each one of those ladies, they had to realize their value in the eyes of the king of the universe. Romans 9, 25 to 27, again in the message. I don't always take the message, but for some reason it ended up here today. There is a quotation. It's in Romans 9, 25. In the first part, he quotes Hosea. In the second part, he quotes Isaiah. It says, I'll call them nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved In the place where they yelled out, you're nobody, they're calling you as God's living child. Now, this is the part Isaiah wrote. If each grain of sand in the seashore were numbered and their sum labeled chosen of God, they'd still be numbers, not names. Salvation comes by personal selection. He calls us by name. Arithmetic is not his focus. You are, and you are, and you are. This is his focus, you. And he went out of his way to show this. There was a woman who had a dream one night. I can't even give credit to the author who wrote this because I heard it years ago. But she had a dream that she was in this tapestry factory and sitting at the tapestry each of the looms was an angel and they were weaving these beautiful strings through that making the most gorgeous tapestries to hand on hang on some wealthy woman's wall 
And she was admiring them. And, and they were saying, yes, this person, you see this, how tranquil and how peaceful their lives were. And this one, oh, this is incredible. And so the angel was taking her through this. And she says, where's mine? And he says, oh, oh, yours is over here. You're over here. And, and he got over to that. And it was, now it would be the way I would make a tapestry. It was a tangled mess. There were gaps and holes and strings going every which way. And she was embarrassed. This is terrible. Oh, that's my, and this is your life. You ever feel like your life was a tangled mess? And you're putting up with a bunch of garbage that has been drilled into your head that does not belong because you are a child of God? Well, she was so embarrassed. And they were taking turns holding these up for the audience to see. And they held hers up and she turned away. And instead of the applause that came with many of the others, there was a gasp in the audience. And she, she, she wondered what in the world. And she turned around. The light from behind made the face of Jesus. It showed through the holes it showed through all those spots. Jesus showed through her life. Now, I don't know you, but I'll take that any day. He's in the business of turning nobodies into somebodies. That while their names are lost to history, their stories go on and on and give us courage and realize that we're somebody's in the kingdom of God. Wherever life's journey is taking you, we hope you can find a home at Gateway Fellowship, a ministry of WGTS 91.9. We'd love for you to visit us sometime. Services happen each Saturday evening at 6. You can learn more about us and get more podcasts at mygatewayfellowship.com.